and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is a show where I get to talk about sports, business, and everything that happens in between today. My guest today is Bob Lynch. He is the president and founder of Sponsor United, formerly with Entercom, Westwood One, the Miami Dolphins, and BSE Global. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice Mets shirt. I, I love uh, love the support as a fellow uh, fellow Mets fan. Hey man, they won last night. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get too many of those this year, so I'll uh, I'll have to support after all of them. So we'll see what happens there. Degrom pitched a gem. We lost one of our favorite players, but I'm still going to watch every game. I'm still going to be depressed, and you know that's just the life of a Mets fan. But enough, enough Mets talk. We don't need to get too far down that rabbit hole because I feel like we'll just kind of commiserate. We need together. a couch for that discussion. I yes, think. yes, absolutely. I'd love to lay down on a really nice couch right now and talk to a therapist about it, but. I'm very excited to have Bob here. Obviously, as I said, the president and founder of Sponsor United. So not only an entrepreneur, but within the sponsorship space, which is exactly where I like to play. It's a, it's a, it's a fun place to be. A lot of creativity, a lot of fun there. But Bob, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Um, you know, besides uh, you know playing as a kid, I I just love teamwork. Um, the individuality of it, pushing yourself to the limits, sort of challenging yourself, staying within the confines of what you need to do um, as well, but also being able to kind of collaborate with others. And it's fun. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple in a lot of ways. It involves luck. It's, it's a mirror of real life. There's factors outside of your control. There's the things that you can control. Um, you have to be able to work with others. Um, it's, it's a great parallel to not only life, but obviously to the business world as well. And there's so many lessons to take away uh, from sports as a kid, uh, as you get older. Um, it's just uh, I highly encourage anybody uh, who has kids uh, to uh, to get them involved. Yes, uh, I, I don't have kids uh, yet and probably for another couple of years, hopefully. Uh, cross your fingers for me there. But um, I mean, I think it is really important for people to understand, especially from a young age, you know, defeat happens. And sometimes it's not mm -hmm. your fault, especially in team sports like things happen, man. You're not going to go out. You're not going to win every single game. Failure is going to come. And I think sports is the easiest way to get used to that failure, right? Like in baseball, they always say, if you go up there and you get out six of every 10 times, you're a Hall of Fame athlete, right? If you fail more often than you do not, you will be one of the greatest baseball players of all time. So it's just kind of funny how that one works and, and really how people need to understand that from a young age. You, you can kind of tell who you know, there's there's two things. You can always tell who didn't play sports growing up and you could tell who's never worked in a restaurant. Those are two things that I definitely live by because I think both of them are very true. And and I think your story is really interesting. And that's why I'm very grateful and very excited to have you on here. I mean, you started in sports sales, right? So there is well, that. Actually, I started in a restaurant. So you did. Uh, to your point, you uh, when I was in high school and college, uh, I did have a job in that space. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I was playing college football. Uh, and then in the summer, I was first bouncing and then uh, and then waitering um, in, a, in a summer restaurant. And, and it, it's absolutely true what you said. You know, there's a hustle to that, especially if you're making tips. Mm -hmm. There's the customer service element to it. There's the upsell. Uh, there's the logistics. There's, there's everything that's involved with it, which uh, I kind of stumbled upon. But there was a great value in learning that before I actually went into the real world, too. 
I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yes, I didn't. Uh, sorry, I did not do the research as deep as high school. I don't think it's on the inter- internet. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, hey, hey, it's it's good. I, I truly believe everyone should work in a restaurant at least for a year. Just get it in there, man. Because, yeah, you don't. I, as I said, you definitely know the people when you go out to dinner with someone, you know, who's never worked in a restaurant before because they're asking for all this stupid shit. And it's like, hey, man, he's got like eight tables. Just order your steak and let's get out of here. But that's again, that's another conversation we might want to sit on a couch for as well. We're going to have another really great conversation just you and me i think uh that's going to be a lot of fun when we get to it but um you know with that aspect so so after after school it looks like you started in the in the radio sales you started in a sales position for sports talk radio station and what i guess what drove you to sales and what drove you to want to not only do sales but as as we spoke about sales within the sports space i never um I, I didn't have any sort of, hey, I want to get into sales and this is what I want to do. So part of it was sort of stumbling upon the opportunity. Um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do after school. Um, had an opportunity to, to really start as, a, as just an assistant. It was the lowest role within the organization. And, and I don't think there was much competition for the, for the job when I, when I interviewed for it. Um, and through that, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do is probably the best thing that, that ever happened because, you know, you end up stumbling a lot in that in that world but you stumble upon opportunity and um and, and it allowed me to uh get introduced to sales and marketing um as well and sitting close to a lot of seasoned executives who had been in that space and so i was naturally curious coming out of school um on kind of what you know what what opportunities exist in the world and being in that uh, assistant position before I went into sales allowed me to actually just kind of learn from others. I used to you know, bother everybody asking if I could sit in on their sales calls and just figuring it out. I used to, this is back when there literally were books on tape and I'd listen to like Zig Ziglar and, and, you know, sales books. I didn't know anything about it. And, uh, and so that was kind of fascinating to learn about the psychology behind it, the, you know, the work ethic you need to have behind it, the planning, you know, the mind within marketing and salesmanship and, and everything else that kind of goes into it. So I, I found it to be a fascinating industry in general with so many different layers and so many different types of skill sets and people that could be successful. Um, so the more I kind of learned about it, the more I was just kind of fascinated by it. And was so you have this opportunity. And, and again, you, you hung out at Intercom a little while. You worked for another radio station as well. Was there something about radio or, or sports talk radio in particular that really attracted you? Or again, was it just, hey, I'm here and let me learn and do everything that I possibly can in this space. And you just ended up staying there for, you know, five plus six plus years. I was initially fascinated or I was interested because it was sports radio. So I think just as a, you know, as as a young person, you know, you you get attracted to things that you naturally just sort of follow in general. So that was kind of cool uh, to be involved in that. But, you know, when I was actually um, getting the opportunity to be promoted into a sales role, there were actually two radio stations in, in sort of our section. It was a, a news talk station. It was a sports station that was the Red Sox. It was the Patriots. And it was all those things. And when I had the opportunity to um, to get promoted, uh, my managers, my bosses came to me and said, you know, I know you, you know, you're on the track to go into the sports radio, but we've got this really amazing opportunity at this talk station. Now, this is like the big brother and the little brother in yeah. terms of revenue, in terms of interest. It was news talk. The the audience was kind of 55 plus. Um, so totally different in that regard. 
And I, you know, at the time I thought it was like, you know, oh, that's the worst thing. I want to go where everybody else wants to go. If you're in Boston, 2002, you know, perfect, you know, perfect seat or perfect pitch, whatever it is. Um, it was just the, uh, it was the time to be there. And, um, and I sort of was gently persuaded to uh, take on this other opportunity at this other station. And, and at the time I, it was really, I thought it was like a blow to me, but in retrospect, it was the best thing to do to actually have to learn to uh, sell and represent something that maybe you don't know about as much and really get a, an appreciation for sort of the audience that you're reaching and the value that you're potentially bringing to customers versus just, hey, I, I work for the most popular thing and like you should do it too. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, it, it, I think it forced me to think more creatively um, and probably you know have to work a little bit differently than uh, then, you know, if I had gone on to the sports radio side, both have their challenges. You know, I didn't have to worry about pricing and and sort of, you know, uh, low inventory and, and things like that. So that's a different negotiation and discussion. Um, but uh, but certainly learned a lot from that side. Um, it wasn't necessarily radio as the mechanism. I certainly liked radio no different than anybody else, probably growing up in the in the 80s and 90s. But um, I didn't really think about it in that regard at the time. So, again, I think it's just one of those things that you know, all of a sudden you learn about the radio industry and Marconi and, and cost per points and all this whole world that exists that I don't think most people sort of think about, pay attention to, or, you know, have a need to pay attention to when, when you're young before you sort of get into this business. But again, it kind of opened up a whole avenue of learning about media and how that all works and broadcasters and content versus sales and, mm -hmm. and everything else that sort of goes into that. So it's just a fascinating business. It's it's very very interesting. I mean, the audio medium is is one of the best. It's very easy to tell a story through it. You know, uh, uh, there's a famous line from a gentleman down here at WFAN. You know, baseball is the only sport you can watch on your radio uh, because it's one of those that you can hear it, you can feel it, you understand it, everything. I mean, we're very lucky here in the New York market. I'm a Mets fan. We have some, you know, we have Howie Rose, who in my opinion is one of the best in the game. We have John Sterling and Susan Waldman who have been doing this thing for, it feels like a hundred years. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's just that, you know, they're, they're so good at painting that picture that you can hear it and then be able to actually see what the heck's going on, which is always nice. And which is again, maybe why baseball is my favorite sport because going from games to wherever my mom always had games on, which has been nice. And I think, again, you, you have that attraction, you have that affiliation with these people. We know, you know, everything about Mike Francesa. And if you don't know him too well, Google it. He is uh, he's an interesting character in himself, but I think it's, it's, you know, as you said, it's not so much the medium, it's just the opportunity that comes with it. Right. And then that has then allowed you to go on and do other things. Right. So you, you started in radio sales, corporate partnerships, and now you move over to the Miami Dolphins. So you're, Connecticut guy, cold winters, no beach. I mean, I feel like the cell and the, the 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 dolphins had was probably a real easy one for you at that point, right? I was living in Manhattan at the time, so I'd been in Boston for about four years um, and had an opportunity to go down to uh, what was then Clear Channel, now iHeartMedia, um, and actually in a totally different space. So I went from sort of sports news talk into into music, um, C100 here in New York, which is more of a pop culture mm -hmm. sort of um, platform. And so I, I like that because it was it was a complete sort of left turn from what I had been involved in, 
the brands that are involved and, and obviously the content that's involved in that as well. So it's a great opportunity to do that. Um, I love living in Manhattan. Uh, it, was, it was a nice life. You're, you're young, single, um, you know, having a lot of fun. And um, it was certainly a great opportunity. I'm probably one of the few people that, I, and, I'll, and I'll blame my DNA of, of Swedish and Irish. And, you know, I'm probably one of the few people that on gray days like today, uh, I'm like, oh, what a beautiful day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, opposite than, uh, than many people, including my wife, uh, in terms of what they look at. So it, it actually wasn't that. I, I thought I'd always be up in the Northeast. But uh, when I, you know, just like an actor sort of looks at their career and they look at, am I going to be typecast if I'm in the same role too often? I looked at, um, again, having a, having a great run in New York and learning a lot about New York media. Um, it was an opportunity to sort of go in an unfamiliar space and and sort of build uh, my skill set because I really didn't have that much experience in the sponsorship side, as well as certainly being going from a, uh, you know, a, a large organization like um, like iHeart and Entercom and Westwood One to, um, you know, essentially a, a billion dollar small business um, on the team side. So I, I really appreciated that opportunity to just kind of go down there and, and learn a whole different skill set, uh, you know, in the in the later half of my early uh, stage of my career, I guess. I like that. We're, we're already breaking this out into chapters. That book's going to be a pretty good one, man. But um, with with that, I guess, you know, what how <clears throat> excited, how scared, how nervous were you, you know, again, going to a, a new market? I mean, Boston to New York, yes, it's two different cities, but it's, it's not like they're that far apart. You know, it's a couple hour bus ride, you know, a hop, skip and a jump in a, in a plane going all the way down to Miami now, you know, obviously not having the same relationships and now being into rather than advertising sales as we talked about it's a little bit more on the corporate partnership side what was it like to then go into that brand new media or um market getting into that new position and needing to learn that new skill set to get to where you were you know hopefully planning on then getting well i think going from boston to new york helped me get comfortable with being uncomfortable in a different environment and i i think that's helped me kind of continue that wave um so I was probably more nervous about doing that, going into the New York media market where things happen 100 miles an hour, um, you know, big media, uh, and then going to Miami necessarily, even though it's further away. Um, I was just kind of comfortable with the unfamiliar at that point. Um, so, but I, I just love the idea of going to a completely different market. Boston's very different than New York. New York's very different than, you know, Miami. So sort of learning about that market, learning about, you know, the, the, the team side, the NFL, I looked at it sort of the opposite. It's kind of how I looked at when, when um, decided to start the company is if I failed, I would have still gotten a tremendous amount of value through it because people pay a lot of money for master's degrees and college education, and they pay to learn new skill sets and new things. So I always looked at it as uh, even if I fail, I'm going to learn through that failure and fall forward and, and pick up a new skill set that I wouldn't have had if I stayed comfortable and trying to do the same things over and over again. So once I had that mentality and I sort of convinced myself of that, whether it's accurate or not, um, you know, I felt like uh, no matter what happened, uh, it was going to be great experience. And talk to me a little bit about that experience. Again, going from advertising sales in, in radio and, and some other spots, right? And now you're doing full-blown corporate partnerships. So there's a lot more people involved i'm assuming there's a lot more opportunities there are a lot of different things i mean how quickly were you able to get up to speed i mean you were there for a few years with the dolphins 
what was those first initial few years like and how quickly were you able to get to again that spot of hey I'm, I'm comfortable i'm confident and i really know exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it here well when you go from at least for me when you go from a uh, company uh, such as Clear Channel, 850 radio stations. They were acquired when I was there for, I think, around $28 billion. So you work within a small sort of group, mm-hmm. but within a massive conglomerate. And so you control things, but you don't control things. Or there's there's other uh, people that are involved. There's agencies that are involved with the brands um, in making decisions. There's your own pricing and what you can sort of do. So you have autonomy, but you don't. And so in a different way, that's like that on the team side, you actually have more autonomy, um, but there's more moving parts. So Mm -hmm. it feels more like a small business owner because you might be involved with the entertainment department, with the ticketing premium department, with uh, what goes on in operations and obviously with sales and marketing. Um, So you're involved more um, with more people, but you actually have more creative freedom in some ways, or at least a collaborative nature to be able to do some of those things as well, um, which you might not have on the corporate side. So in that regard, it was um, it felt like working at an ad agency that sort of had all of these um, services at our fingertips and the, the way we sort of strategized our partnerships was trying to centralize all of the uh, potential assets that could be tied into a partnership. So pulling our radio rights in-house, pulling as many of our TV rights in-house, our print, our digital, centralizing content. And then when we talked with uh, potential corporate partners, we had a more holistic sort of 360 approach to like, how does this actually impact you? Do you need to be in media? Do you need to be in the stadium? Mm -hmm. Um, How does this ultimately tie back to their goals and objectives as well as ours as well? So there was a little bit more freedom in, in when we talked to brand partners about that. Whereas when you're in the media side, um, at the time, more, I don't want to say all roads led to radio ads, because that's a very simplistic view. And, and certainly, if you look at the media landscape today, and we, we work with uh, a lot of these media companies, they're also taking a much more integrated approach, creative approach, to these partnerships, as, as the advertising industry evolves in general, um, you know, lines are being blurred, it's not commodity based uh, selling of, of inventory, um, as well. So that started to, I think, happen probably 10, 15 years ago where people were being much more savvy about how they leverage their corporate partnerships. And so we were, you know, I happened to be there at that time where I think that started to shift, um, probably because of the economy, because of a lot of reasons, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the digital uh, landscape and, and how that had changed. Um, so it was, it was, uh, there was a lot of creative freedom that came with that which I, again, found to be pretty fascinating. Um, It also does force you to sort of work across many lines of business. And so internally as well as externally, um, which was a little bit of a different challenge, but um, but fun to figure out sort of how to navigate those relationships. And it sounds like you had a pretty good time there. I mean, the Dolphins, I mean, they're not very good. My mom's a Dolphins fan, so I can say that. But uh, at least you had some fun there. Miami's a fun market. It's a fun place to be. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, and, you know, again, through that opportunity, it then was able to lead you to other places. You were able to obtain a skill set or multiple skill sets, it sounds like, through working with the Dolphins. And then you were then able to go to the agency side with BSE uh, Global where, you know, we're talking about, you know, working with multiple teams now. So what was it then like going from, you know, working with one team, as you said, it's a small business and, and kind of working integrated like that. And now you're on the agency side, working with multiple different teams, potentially, and starting to figure out multiple deals. How easy of a transition was that to me? 
Well, BSC was set up as as both an owner of teams as well as sort of representing the sales of, okay. say, the New York Islanders. So there was a little bit of that, but it didn't feel so much like we were working like I was working at an agency. Mm-hmm. It really felt like these are just no different than when we sold TV or radio. We didn't own those stations, but we we own the inventory. We could control that inventory so we could sort of leverage that within a partnership. So there weren't as many differences as, as you would imagine. I think the biggest difference uh, going from one organization to another was the sheer volume of and diversity of events that take place. So when you are in the arena space, which again, was really fascinating to me, you're in the music space, you're in boxing, you're in college athletics, um, you're in obviously the NHL, the NBA. So a lot of areas that I wasn't as familiar with. So I, I just kind of gravitated towards that, that environment of, of, you know, really not knowing what's going on within that space as well. So I think both, both organizations, um, I, I just learned a tremendous amount from leadership, the different leaderships uh, that were involved in both of those places. Um, I think Miami uh, and the Miami Dolphins, amazing organization. Obviously the brand is uh, speaks for itself. Um, gone through a you know a lot of transition over the years, um, good and bad, but 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 definitely a uh, um, a brand that has um, uh, really done a good job. I think of um, what, whether you can't control what goes on in the field, um, but the way in which uh, you know the community was engaged and, and corporate partners were engaged, it was really a success um, as well. And so it was, it was kind of fun to be involved in that process and, and learn a lot through that process. And so um, obviously a little bit different at BSC Global um, in that uh, they had sort of moved into a, a market. Mm-hmm. So very different in terms of there wasn't that embedded nature of, uh, you know, a Brooklynite being a Nets fan from 1967, you know, when they started. So little bit different in that regard. Um, but, you know, again, every every one of these uh, opportunities uh, is is a chance to sort of learn and understand sort of the Brooklyn market and how unique it is and all the different properties we had. So it was a combination. It felt like of, um, you know, my New York media days with a with the whole sponsorship component to it with events 300 days out of the year. So, um, you know, it was it was a, it was a fun experience. And again, I'm sure that the skill set that came with it, the opportunities that came with it, and and your ability to gain relationships, meet new people, and, and you know, as you said, you know, now you're able to draw a little bit, pa- you know, on your past experiences with music. Now you're able to draw a little bit from your experiences with the Dolphins and start to really mold all of this together and kind of, uh, you know, get everything into that melting pot uh, of Bob and get him the opportunity, get you the opportunity to really put all that together, which I think is really cool and and. Uh, Yes. I mean, I used to go to Nets games at Continental Airline Arena uh, way, way, way back when. So that's when that's much before they, uh, you know, before the rock, before all that stuff. So now they're they're up in Brooklyn and it's in a definitely an interesting position. Hopefully moving forward, it's a little bit more enjoyable now. KD and Kyrie coming in and hopefully they're both healthy. We'll see what happens there. I'm sure you're keeping your eyes on that. But at what point during this process, at what point during your life did you realize that, you know, starting and owning and and running a business was somewhere within that deck of cards you just kind of had to draw it i i always uh love the idea of sort of building something um you know creating something uh creating a company i mean i used to sell 
magazine posters and um, and soda when I was in seventh grade at school. I'd literally undercut my school uh, and sell product at the uh, during the lunch line. And so I, I mean, I, I, it was basically a business to be honest with you. Um, so I always kind of you know thought about those things um, and and liked the idea of the creativity behind that. I think the challenge was always with me of of you know taking that leap. You know, especially when you have a you know, you, you have a, a job, a job you love um, and what you do. But I, you know, beginning um, really in probably 2008 and nine, um, when um, when Clear Channel was bought, um, they brought in Bain Consulting to sort of look at these 850 stations and try to figure out efficiencies of scale. And, you know, how do you consolidate things like like any other um, organization that sort of takes over a, a massive company would? And fortunately, I got invited into um, into a group that worked on the automotive vertical of their business across the entire country. So, you know, massive uh, ad opportunity. Um, they could sort of look at, you know, what are the best practices? How do we think about pricing uh, and the like? And spent about nine months um, traveling, being part of this group that was doing that and learning through the Baines Consulting Group as well and sort of how they looked at things. So. It's a bit like getting a, a condensed MBA in, 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 you know, in kind of looking at a business in that regard. When I, you know, a couple of years later was in the NFL, very early on, um, you know, I sort of looked at the media side of the business, which I had just come out of. And then I looked at the sponsorship side and saw a lot of amazing things on both sides, but also inefficiencies um, in how the sponsorship industry worked and, and in some ways works for its benefit. Um, in terms of being opaque with with some information and whatnot. Um, but I sort of saw that and I saw how the advertising industry was rapidly evolving with, um, you know, real-time data, uh, programmatic buying and selling of ads and, and the like, and thought that, um, you know, there were probably components and elements of, of infusing more information within the sponsorship industry that would help the overall industry. And so I like the idea of, not starting my own company for starting my own company's sake or to really do something that everybody else had done. I, you know, I, I like to think I take a bit of a contrarian approach to things of, you know, maybe thinking or trying to think differently about things and how to solve these problems. And so um, I started to think about it, you know, it was, it was 10 years ago, probably 2010, when I really started to think, Hey, I think there are things in this industry that um, if, if you could solve for these problems would make the entire industry better for sellers, buyers, agents, vendors, and the like. And um, I think the hardest thing is is probably defining and understanding like what is the problem you're trying to solve for? Um, and then how do you actually solve that problem in a way that's defensible, in a way that's actually valuable, scalable, and the like. And so I think it took a very long time to sort of get that wrapped around in my head. What would that solution be? I think that was, you know, having not really started any companies in the past mm -hmm. or knowing how to do that, um, you know, spent a lot of time trying to figure that out um, as well. So I think had I not gone to, um, to BSE and not gone to these other places, I probably wouldn't have sort of been able to kind of put together some ways in which we might be able to serve the industry better. Exactly. And that's why I wanted to touch upon all those spots uh, and all, all the ways, including that restaurant job, because that's where you got a lot of your hustle. Right. But, um, you know, touching upon all those places, you can start to see and understand all these different opportunities that are in the market, which then kind of, again, culminates in with you starting this business. So as we said before, president and founder of Sponsor United, tell us a little bit about the solution, man. Well, first, I guess, tell us what that problem is and then tell us what this solution is that you've been able to create and, and you know, now successfully run for the last what, four or five years. 
Well, in I mean, one example that I can remember that sort of began to plant the seed was um, we had an opportunity to do business with uh, Bristol Myers Squibb um, through uh, a really uh, high performing business development person that worked with us. And uh, through that process, based up in New Jersey, we had met with them about a skin cancer awareness initiative. Um, and they hadn't really been doing a lot in the sponsorship space. We developed all these sort of creative solutions on how they could essentially bring awareness uh, to getting people checked um, in that regard. And, you know, ultimately that would obviously trickle down into what their business does, which is, you know, serving people in that regard. And so we had sort of developed these ideas, solutions. Um, They liked it. This is on the heels of what was happening in the NFL breast cancer awareness being a sort of a cause marketing uh, campaign. And um, the challenge for them was they came back to us and said, look, this is great. We really like this concept. We, we haven't been in this space, though. So if we're going to invest in sort of this campaign, we can't do it within the confines of a 75 mile radius, which is what kind of teams control from a marketing rights standpoint. South Florida is an important market, but it's not the only market that's important to us. So we really need to be able to launch this over or over more markets. And so we had to kind of go out to the different teams and the markets that they told us were important to them uh, and kind of aggregate the the packages all so we could just drive our own revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through that process, we had to kind of tr- figure out a way to standardize things. And, you know, different teams sell different assets. Some own their stadium, some don't. Some own their radio rights, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so between sort of the quality of, of sort of like what each of the individual teams was going to deliver, the assets that they controlled, and the pricing, um, you know, that was the first time I sort of saw how much of a discrepancy there was team to team, market to market, um, you know, high quality, okay quality, uh, you know, everything was sort of different. And having come recently from, you know, that the the Bain project at Clear Channel, you know, where, where you're trying to kind of come up with a more consistent go to market strategy, I realize that sponsorship is is innovating uh, in an amazing way, but but because it's siloed, because of the unique way in which these teams are owned and operated, they're innovating in in silos, and so that actually makes it more complex for brands to be able to sort of consistently get their arms wrapped around what the solutions are, and so I kind of quickly realized that um, teams wouldn't some of those teams that were within that sort of uh, partnership probably wouldn't have discovered that opportunity had they not been part of a larger sort of conglomerate of, um, uh, you know, of the deal. Meaning like if you're in Oklahoma or a smaller market, most national brands probably aren't going to say, unless it's a key market for them, they're not going to say, let's, let's launch in that market. Um, and so I kind of looked at that from both the, the property seller side saying like, look, there's probably incremental revenue that could be found in this way. Um, there's probably a more consistent, consistent way they can understand what those other teams are doing so they can sort of either be competitive uh, because they don't have insight necessarily into what another team is doing in another market. And they don't really compete in a lot of ways. Like if you're in Los Angeles, you're probably not competing with Atlanta for ad dollars. Those are, you know, for most brands that are national, that that's probably seen in different segments uh, for the most part. And so if there was more consistency in that space and then on the brand side, um, you know, really challenging if you have to kind of aggregate potentially hundreds of partnerships in one place if you don't have the marketing resources or an ad agency that's really sort of adept at doing that. And so I kind of looked at that and said, that seems like a very inefficient process. We ended up doing the partnership, fortunately, um, and it was, it was pretty successful for many years. But I just that that kind of planted the seed to say this is a really inefficient way in which 
things are bought and sold. And I began to think that sponsorship was sort of the last bastion of offline buying and selling with limited access to information on both sides that may help uh, you know all the participants. And so if there was a way to infuse better data, uh, a platform that sort of standardizes everything, you could uh, 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 potentially impact the entire industry in a way that sort of lifts everyone. And I looked at it through the lens of sponsorship gets roughly nine, 10% of the total ad dollars. So if you can make it even, and it's growing uh, and it's continued to grow because of its innovation, but if you can actually make it easier for people to be able to sort of understand the space, enter the space, um, you could probably help pull more money into the sponsorship industry as a whole versus sort of pitting teams against each other or brands against each other in that regard. So that's sort of how I looked at that. And then when I went up to the NBA and the NHL, I began to see, you know, I had access to league data across the NFL, NFL, um, NFL, NBA and NHL and began to see that most brands that are national in nature um, actually don't scale in sponsorships. So they, they buy very few sponsorships, except for the top four, three, four percent of brands that you see everywhere. Most brands that participate, um, they're not in every market. They're not even in maybe 10, 20 percent of the markets. Um, yet that's sort of where they're being served. And so I began to talk to a lot of brands about that and realize that if you can make the process easier to sort of aggregate, to understand data um, and on the team side with limited amounts of salespeople, you just can't possibly call on the entire world. Uh, so I kind of looked at both sides of the equation and thought that, all right, if we can somehow get all this information that is um, out there on how these deals are, are bought and sold, the assets that are involved, the creative, the decision makers, sort of every, almost like a Google uh, for sponsorship, if you could sort of have that where anybody can kind of come in and democrat, basically you're democratize the information. So that's been the biggest challenge. I, I don't even know what these teams do or what my competitors do or whatever it might be. You could essentially lift the entire industry. And so that that's sort of where that all started to, to figure out, okay, how do we actually build towards a solution um, that can do this um, as well? So that's kind of how it started. And I think it's, it's such a cool idea and you're completely right. Like sponsorship is so much fun, right? Like that it's, I, that's why I love it because you can get really creative. You can do a lot of different things. If we're talking about properties, if we're talking about brands, if we're talking about athletes or, or individuals, I mean, there's so much stuff you can do. If you just kind of sit down, drink a beer and have a conversation about it, we can get pretty creative with this stuff. But as you said, they're so, I don't know what they're doing. They don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what they're trying to do on the left coast versus the right coast. Like, how does all of this work? And now the opportunity with you guys and Sponsor United is to actually put all that in one spot. How difficult was it to aggregate all that data, though? I feel like there's probably a lot of properties or brands or, or individuals, agencies that don't really want to let all that information out. So how do you go out there and either scrape that data manually or figure out a way to automate it to put it in one spot so people can actually see it, feel it and understand like, oh, that's how they're doing it and why they're doing it type of thing. Well, similar to you, I have such an appreciation for like the creative creativity uh, of these partnerships. And the longer I'm in this business, the more I think of um, sponsorship is, is almost like real estate, actually, in, in my opinion. There's an art and a science to it. There's, there's data and there's the abstract um, and, and how these partnerships are formed in many cases. It might be as emotionally driven to we need to plant a flag in the ground. We just moved to Atlanta, Mercedes, and, and we need to, you know, we have people that work here and we need to distinguish ourselves. Um, every brand is different in, in what they're trying to accomplish, as is every team or property or event in terms of what their DNA is. So there there's components of sort of actual 
impressions and value and, and things of that nature, but there's also that whole abstract side. And so I, I, I sort of looked at it through, you, you kind of need to see the full picture. And a lot of the data that have been previously accessible or currently accessible in the space um, outside of what we do is, is sort of in these verticals of like, you know, social media or in, you know, signage or in whatever it might be. And these partnerships uh, are so integrated across so many different things that you really need some place that has the full picture or really won't do it justice in terms of how these things come together and why or how they buy. Um, so, yeah, we had to figure out a way to kind of map all that information. Um, uh, you know, the majority of the information uh, early on, I realized, is publicly available. It's just it's this the scale of it is, you know, a, a, a poster at Coachella versus, uh, you know, a sign in, you know, minor league ballpark versus something in the Olympics. So it's all out there. It's just how do you then sort of collect and track all that information in one place. So it's a component of, of both uh, the sort of technology uh, and what you can sort of scrape information. I mean, there's, there's obviously, um, uh, you know, that, that's, that's quickly evolved. So the ability to track every single social media post across every single platform or, you know, TV visible or digital or things like that. Um, I knew that there would be the ability to to develop technology or to utilize technology to gather all this just across everything. Um, the manual component um, is no different than, you know, I, I kind of go back to Google, but it's like Google Maps. Um, you know, there, there's roads out there everywhere, but, you know, you have to have a car that, that drives down every road to kind of capture that information. And so we had to kind of look at it in that regard as well. And so... Um, realizing that, you know, in theory, if you could massively crowdsource all the offline data that exists out there, the poster on the fourth floor, the activation that takes place, all of that, you could sort of piece that all back together again and have a full picture of what's being done. And so early on, um, really part of what we, we, we attempted to do was massively crowdsource this, essentially go to every single event um, and capture that information. And it took us a while, you know, it took us about a year and a half before we actually launched our platform to figure out how to capture this information because we needed it independent from a team giving us information. Um, first as a leverage point to not say, hey, we need you to give us your data. And most organizations aren't going to just give you their information, even, even friends in, in the industry. And also, if you can't get that information, you're not really giving a full, complete picture of what's being done. So we almost needed to kind of have that um, at scale first before we could actually launch a platform that delivers that information. It's like having Google Maps without like half the roads is not valuable to the customer or a social media network that doesn't have many uh, users isn't valuable until more and more users are sort of participating. So um, we went out and, and massively crowdsourced that information. I saw um, in 2010, there were three or four sports management programs uh, that were in the space. And when I left the team side, uh, and I think, or I think present day, I think there's like four or 500 schools that offer sports management programs, probably driven from like Moneyball and, and other things that are out there and how teams are being much more savvy with how they look at business and kind of looking from outside. And so I realized there is a talent pool of people that want experience in this space, um, but oftentimes they may be directed to like ticket sales or, or places mm -hmm. where high volume of, of or just, in, you know, general internships. Um, where that's needed on the team side. So I thought we could kind of come in as an intermediary, train people how the sponsorship industry works, um, because there's a lot of things that people don't. I've, I've worked with people that 
have transitioned from the ticket sales side into sponsorship 10 years into their career. And while they understand, you know, ticket sales, they might not understand like, well, this asset's used to drive this potential business outcome or mm-hmm. marketing outcome. And so I always looked at that sort of as, as lacking of, of knowledge within that space. So, and so if we could um, recruit and provide that value to thousands of people on here's how sponsorship works, here's all the assets that are involved, here's sort of the whole thing, um, there could be a nice value exchange of uh, almost like a CAPTCHA that, that you know, crowdsources information, but it also provides a benefit. So we kind of took that same approach of saying, we can probably track every single sign, every single activation across the country and in exchange, train people on how this all works and provide a, an experience that uh, will really make them ready and prepared to work in a, in a team environment because they'll know every brand that participates, all the different unique assets that are being leveraged against this. Um, and that's kind of how things started out for us. And then we had to build technology to scale that and to make sure that that data is accurate because when you have that many different data points coming in across thousands of events, I mean, tens of millions of data points, um, you need a way to obviously organize that, store that, um, and display that information. So we spent a lot of time actually building the tools first to actually track this information. Then we even thought about who's going to see this, how are they going to see this information as well. And it's it's very clearly been working for you guys, and it, it seems like a lot of fun. Again, sponsorship is a place near and dear to my heart. And again, with the way you guys are going about it, as you said, the educational aspect and component of it, I think, is the most important because it's you know, as you said, you, you it sounds like you went through a couple uh, graduate programs throughout your life that had nothing to do with school, as you said, with the consulting firm that you were able to learn from when you're going to these other places and really getting those crash courses. I think that's a, a very valuable asset that somebody either coming out of college or or just in the space that wants to get better can utilize. And I know we do have to get running here, Bob, but this has been absolutely fantastic. We'd love to get you on again um, sometime in the near future to talk about what sponsorship looks like moving forward. I think it could be interesting again with events. I mean, in Philadelphia, I mean, they've already said like no events for the next like no football events. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So definitely would love to understand a little bit more about what you see in the space. But, um, Bob, what is what is the website? What are your social media handles? So that way, everyone after listening to this can go check it out and, uh, you know, possibly get on get on the Sponsor United train. Uh, SponsorUnited.com, uh, S-P-O-N-S-O-R, United.com. Um, and uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're pretty active on LinkedIn with a lot of content that we put out. Um, as well. So um, that's probably the best place to kind of find that. Um, but Sponsor United on Twitter, I think it's Sponsor underscore United on Twitter and Sponsor United on uh, on LinkedIn is probably the best place to find us. Yep. I found you guys on LinkedIn. I reached out and uh, got a great conversation out of it. So I do appreciate it. Bob Lynch, president and founder of Sponsor United. Really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate it.